Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has all the odds, props, promos, and parlays you need during the bowl season in college football. 40 bowl games, a chaotic playoff picture that's going to have Michigan versus Alabama, Washington versus Texas, great college football on the way. You can use our promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description to this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit over at Bet Online Sportsbook. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, the live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's NFL Monday, Week 15. I'm very, very excited to be here chatting with all of you guys. We are going to have a fun show planned for you today. We're going to talk at some point here about the Cowboys and Buffalo Bills coming up in our second segment. We are going to talk about the Hail Mary that almost was. It was so close. The Chicago Bears, the most frustrating team in the NFL this year. So close and yet so far. We'll talk about that. There's all sorts of fun stuff to chat about today on the show. I was planning originally to come in here and do an entire NFL Monday podcast just about the Raiders dropping 63 points in three quarters against the Chargers. It was the most enjoyable, happy football day of the season for me. And then there was a bunch of interesting stuff that happened on the actual NFL Sunday. Even some interesting stuff that happened on Saturday, because this is the post-college football week where they put like three standalone games on Saturday. And you don't really have to pay attention to all three games, but you should pay attention to the results if there's if there's stakes associated to them and there's just there was a lot of stuff that went on before the NFL Sunday that I wanted to talk about and so I compromised with myself 
by waiting until Wednesday to do a full Charger eulogy podcast that laughs at that godforsaken franchise allowing 63 points in three quarters against the Raiders. It was truly, truly amazing, and I cannot wait to talk about that. But we'll save it for Wednesday because there's a bunch of stuff going on in the NFL. The Detroit Lions beat the shit out of the Denver Broncos, which finally a result that regresses everyone to the mean. The Lions, good on you. I knew you were going to be the three seed. I know you're going to win the NFC North. I just wasn't sure if you had it in you to beat the crap out of a mid-team like the Denver Broncos. I I thought you had it in you because I think that the Lions are like the fourth best team in the NFC this year. I thought you had it in you, but the should-be 7-6 and Detroit Lions beat the crap out of the should-be 5-10 and Denver Broncos, and I'm so glad that we got that result just for the sake of the NFL making a little bit of sense. Kansas City beat the crap out of the Patriots, even though Kadarius Toney dropped another pass that was basically a pick six because the interception got tackled in the red zone and the Patriots punched in and easily even though Kadarius Tony dropped another pick six Kansas City still beat the crap out of New England so there's not a lot of intrigue there and the Miami Dolphins who man the Miami Dolphins so interesting on so many levels they beat the crap out of the Jets 30 to 0 30 to 0 and that victory deserves to play the Miami Dolphin fight song by T-Pain that was made 16 years ago and they haven't won a game they haven't won a playoff game since T-Pain made this remake of their fight song 16 years ago but when you beat the Jets 30-0 you deserve to get the fight song played on this podcast Shout out to you, Miami Dolphins, 30-0, to officially eliminating the Jets from the playoffs for the 13th year in a row. I'm disappointed because I thought the Jets just might make it to get up out the paint week. They were two weeks short, two weeks short of making it to get up out the paint week when one result in the playoffs eliminates like four teams from the in the hunt graphic because those teams were third place in their division but they convinced themselves that they still had a chance because football is the sport where teams seven through 24 are all basically the same or in the case of this year teams seven through like 26 are all basically the same jets didn't make it to get up out the paint week thanks to the miami dolphins So like I was saying earlier, like most of the teams that actually matter and the teams we've been talking about for the last like six weeks on this podcast, most of them had pretty predictable results. The Lions beat the crap out of the Denver Broncos. Kansas City beat the crap out of the Patriots. Dolphins beat the crap out of the Jets. 
49ers beat the crap out of the Arizona Cardinals, or at least as of right now, they're beating the crap out of the Arizona Cardinals. It's 28-13 to 13 as of the time we're recording this. And as I say this word for word, James Conner breaks off a 56-yard run to get the Cardinals into the red zone. But the 49ers are beating the crap out of the Cardinals. Ravens versus Jaguars is a really fun game. Even if the Jaguars are, for all intents and purposes, locked into the AFC South Pyramid Scheme fourth seed in the AFC, Ravens-Jaguars is still a really fun game, but we record this podcast in that break of time in between when the afternoon games end and before the night game ends in the NFL schedule, so we don't have the Ravens-Jaguars result in hand. We'll talk about Cowboys and Bills in the second segment of this game. So all of the teams that actually matter kind of beat the crap out of everyone else. The Eagles don't play the Seahawks until Monday because Eagles-Seahawks got flexed into the Monday night window over Kansas City beating the crap out of the Patriots, and Jalen Hurts now has an illness, so he's like traveling separately with the team, but the Eagles will play on Sunday night, or on Monday night. And so because all the teams that actually matter had pretty predictable results and I don't have anything unique and interesting to talk about with them, let's weed our way into a topic that I think was specifically interesting this week. I'm not saying it's always interesting. I'm saying this week they happen to be specifically interesting in this one singular week that I want to talk about the NFC South. Because for the past two seasons, the NFC South has essentially occupied the role that the AFC South has occupied for the last decade, which is that none of their teams are actually great, but one of them is obligated to make the playoffs, and they will get the fourth seed in the NFC and get the crap beaten out of them by whoever gets the five seed. That's basically what every AFC South team has been for the last decade. But that title has now kind of shifted from the AFC South over a bit to the NFC South because last year the 9-8 Tampa Bay Buccaneers made the playoffs and lost by 30 against the Cowboys in their wildcard game. This year the division leader is at 7-7 and might end up being 8-9. I'm not saying for sure the NFC South winner is going to be 8-9. I'm saying there's a distinct possibility still that the NFC South winner is in fact eight and nine. But the NFC South is really, really crappy as a division. The Atlanta Falcons have now lost games against the Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers, who at this point have the two worst records in the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons suck. Just going to put it out there. Falcons suck. They had the funniest moment of the day, actually, for me, which was the play that Desmond Ritter had the ball in the red zone they were up 7-6. to six. It was the last time the Falcons touched the football in the game. It was third down. It wasn't third and goal, but it was third down inside the red zone. And Desmond Ritter rolled to his left, kept the play alive, kept the play alive, and then threw an interception that was not only just an awful, laughably bad interception, like as laughably bad as Bailey Zappi throwing a fake spike interception to end a game against the Colts. That was how laughably bad this Desmond Ritter interception was because Desmond Ritter scrambled to his left, had all the time in the world, bought himself like nine seconds. And in the NFL, it's really hard to cover wide receivers. It's really, really hard to cover wide receivers. Now imagine having to cover a wide receiver for nine seconds 
running around in the secondary. Desmond Ritter had nine seconds, wouldn't let the play die, wanted to score a touchdown in a 7-6 to game, which again, the Panthers had scored six points the entire game. The field goal would have been fine, but Ritter kept buying time, buying time, nine seconds left, sat in the pocket instead of even scrambling to try and get the first down, reset his feet at as far left in the pocket as he could and threw an interception that was so laughably bad that if we had simply clicked pause right as Ritter released the football and deleted the linebacker for the Panthers who intercepted the pass, just like control X on that linebacker and made him disappear, the pass still would have been intercepted by the defender behind him because that's how laughably bad this interception was by Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter sucks. And I don't usually like doing this with quarterbacks that aren't Drew Locke, saying, like, this guy belongs in the XFL. That's how comically bad he is. And there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Trust me. I saw what Tommy DeVito did against the Saints. We'll get to that in a minute. I saw Nick Mullins and Jake Browning both just Leroy Jenkins their ass down the field and go to overtime and just fuck around with Bengals and Vikings teams that are somehow both in the playoffs right now. I get there's a lot of injured quarterbacks, and the problem with having a second and third string quarterback is sometimes they'll look like Tommy DeVito going 10 for 11 for 110 yards and two touchdowns to beat the Packers in a way that Patrick Mahomes couldn't just a week earlier. Sometimes those quarterbacks will look like that, and sometimes they'll look like Tommy DeVito did today, and sometimes they'll look like Trevor Simeon did today for the Jets. It happens, man. These backup quarterbacks are wild inconsistent, man. They're wild inconsistent game to game. Joe Flacco looked like shit for three quarters and then had a crazy fourth quarter to beat the Bears, which again, we'll get to that later. But like, Desmond Ritter was so embarrassingly bad and has been embarrassingly bad to the point where it's like yes you are you are a big part of the reason why the Falcons are not as good as they are it's not like oh we're a quarterback away from having success it's like our quarterback is actively working against our offense and defense that has been surprisingly better than expected but still actively working against their defense all season long and it's just crazy to watch in real time Desmond Ritter have a game that single-handedly cost the Falcons the game because the Falcons had seven points they would have gotten to 10 and that interception leads to an 80-yard six-minute drive by the Panthers that ends the game with the Panthers kicking a chip shot 20-yard field goal and maybe you could say they kick the field goal and the Panthers go down and score a touchdown anyways because Chuba Hubbard did slide down at the goal line to avoid scoring the touchdown. Maybe that's the result that ends up happening. But I'm going to look at the Panthers holding the ball until the very end of the game as a direct implication of Desmond Ritter throwing what is one of the most comically bad interceptions of the season and it's the last time he's going to touch the ball in that game and it should be the last time he touches the ball the rest of the season because I don't know why Heineke hasn't gone back in unless he's still hurt I don't know if Austin Allen is still the third stringer on that team but you just got to do something other than godforsaken Desmond Ritter continuing to be your quarterback if you're the Falcons because he is going to cost them a playoff spot he already might have done it Because at the same time as Desmond Ritter playing 
terrible and having a comically bad interception that knocked him out of the game, we got Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield having the two highest passer ratings in the NFL in Week 15. A higher passer rating than even Aiden O'Connell, who again had 42 points at halftime and 63 points scored within three quarters. Even still, Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr, two quarterbacks left for dead in the barren wasteland of the NFC South, those two had the highest passer ratings of any NFL quarterback in week 15 and I want to start off by giving my guy Derek Carr some props because Derek Carr we have joked for years is the epitome of does not elevate the team around him but will not drive the team into the ground and I gotta be honest the last two seasons Derek Carr kind of drove his teams into the ground Like, I think the Raiders chose a weird year to move on from Derek Carr out of all the nine years previously that he was the greatest quarterback in their franchise's history. They picked a weird year to move on from Derek Carr after all the years of thinking they were going to move on from Derek Carr. I still find it hilarious that John Gruden got a 10-year, $100 million contract, systematically traded all the players of value on the team, including Khalil Mack, including Amari Cooper, went into a teardown of all teardowns, with the Raiders, had a 10-year, $100 million contract, and John Gruden still was gone before Derek Carr. Derek Carr outlasted John Gruden in Las Vegas. It's hilarious that that ended up being the result. And last year was horrible for Carr, fully acknowledged. It was just surprising that of all the terrible seasons, that was the terrible season the Saints deci- or the, the Raiders decided to move off of Derek Carr. Because Derek Carr got to New Orleans... And Saints fans were very happy. And the Saints front office was happy with Derek Carr coming available. They were happy to pay him what was essentially a two-year contract at top 15-level starting quarterback money. The Saints were totally content to do that for Derek Carr. I know it was a four-year contract. It's basically a two-year contract for Derek Carr. And I just have sat out trying to evaluate Derek Carr all season because he sprained his shoulder in the third week of the season, it looked like he was going to be out for season. And I have no idea how healthy or not healthy Derek Carr is, which is the basic story of how Baker Mayfield ended up leaving Cleveland in the first place. I have no idea how healthy or not healthy he is because Derek Carr is playing with a separated shoulder and he's also had a whole host of injuries pile up throughout the season. And people have made jokes about how Alvin Kamara is the leading catcher uh, is the leading receiver on the team because it's just all checkdowns 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 and even in the best game of Derek Carr's season it was still Alvin Kamara was the leading receiver in yards and leading receiver in catches for the New Orleans Saints and I understand people calling him a checkdown Charlie because Derek Carr is just checking down to Alvin Kamara 10 times per game in an offense where he's only completing about 24 passes in the entire game and Chris Olave has had a super disappointing season despite the fact that he was the person that the NFL chose for their like you know at the start of the season the graphic where like they get all 32 teams and have their best player staring at like the 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 Super Bowl trophy and they're like the journey begins now. Olave was the person they picked for the Saints 
as their best player. And granted, Alvin Kamara was suspended for three weeks, so they didn't really want to put him in that graphic. But uh, they they said Chris Olave was the best player on that team. And I know Chris Olave has been dealing with injuries, and I know it's been a super disappointing year for him because Olave is going to end with a thousand receiving yards, but only have four touchdowns on the season. Most likely, it's been it's been super disappointing, super disappointing year by Chris Olave standards, or at least someone who we think is clearly one of the ten most talented receivers in all of the NFL. I understand the frustrations there, but Derek Carr played awesome against the Giants, and I know it's the Giants. And I know that their defense has historically been bad, but the Giants have made some pretty good quarterbacks look pretty damn mediocre this season so far. Might I note that the New York Giants have held the Buffalo Bills to nine uh, to 14 points. They held the Seattle Seahawks to 20. They held the... Well, I guess that's not a very good one, but the point still stands. The Giants' defense is bad, but the Giants' defense also has had some pretty good performances so far this season. The game they won against the Patriots, which I get it's the Patriots, they held the Patriots to fewer points on offense than Kansas City did. It's like it's it's not the worst damn defense in the world, but I just want to give him some props, man, because it, it looked real good. It looked real damn good for Derek Carr, and the numbers back it up because completed 80% of his passes for 218 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and the second highest passer rating of the week. Second highest passer rating in the league behind, of course, Baker Mayfield and the equally 7-7 seven and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have not spent really any time thinking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. They started out 3-0, and and it was pretty obvious that they were the fraudulent 3-0 and team of the league. And then they were like 3-6 and or 4-6 and or something like that. And now they've won three of their last four games. And this week, watching the Bucks versus Packers game, watching Baker Mayfield obliterate a Packer defense that, again, stopped Patrick Mahomes, couldn't stop Tommy DeVito or Baker Mayfield at all in the last six quarters, manifested this at the start of the season. Packers are going to finish 7-10. and Let it be documented. The most 7-10 and of all the 7-10 and teams, the Packers are going to end 7-10. and They're 6-8. and I promise you they're going to go 1-2 and the last three games of the season. As I'm watching Baker Mayfield torch the Packers on the Red Zone channel, it dawned on me that as soon as Tom Brady arrived, Tampa Bay went from a team that would be playing 10 o'clock games on the Red Zone channel, scoring either 6 points or 36 points going into the fourth quarter and would never have anything in between. They had the magical Jameis Winston season, which was the perfect anomaly of that run for Tampa Bay. The 30-touchdown, 30-interception season for Jameis was like the the peak of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers era. Like, everything post-John Gruden has basically been that for Tampa. Like, Tampa Bay in the early 2000s with, 2010s with Josh Freeman would either score 6 points or like 36 points in a game. They would lose more games than they won. But they would always have somewhere between 6 and 36. When they won, they won by scoring a shit ton of points. 
and it was exciting and it always popped up on the red zone. That happened with him, happened with Lovey Smith, it happened with Dirk Cutter, and then it happened once Tom Brady got there and uh, the pinnacle of that being the last season, which I think was Bruce Arians' first season, was the Jameis 30 touchdown, 30 interception season. But the thing that I realized is that Tom Brady got there and made them predictable, made them less chaotic. With two minutes to play in a game, they always had a chance to win because they had Tom Brady and you expected them to win a lot of those games. Tom Brady made them predictable. Tom Brady made them into a thing that we had seen time and time again while he was playing with New England. A top 10 defense with an offense led by Tom Brady that was going to do the little things well. He was going to go through motions and run an offense that was predictable, an offense that you had seen time and time again beat teams and yet would still go down and beat them. It was like Tom Brady had taken the Tampa Bay out of Tampa Bay that I had known my entire football watching life. And after they won that Super Bowl, and after the offensive line fell apart, and after players on that defense left in free agency and or got hurt, after you took away everything that made them Super Bowl caliber good, Tampa Bay has reverted right back to that team that we know and love. And that team we know and love is they might score six, they might score 36, they're going to win about as many games as they lose, and they're always going to be playing at that 10 o'clock block of the red zone, and you're either never going to see them pop up on the red zone, or you're going to always see them pop up on the red zone. Doesn't matter whether it's Tom Brady at quarterback, doesn't matter whether it's Baker Mayfield at quarterback. As soon as you took away the defense and took away the offensive line that Jason liked the general manager strategically assembled for when they signed Tom Brady in 2020. Once you took those things away, they went right back to being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we know and love, scoring somewhere between six, uh, scoring either six or 36 points at 10 o'clock in the red zone. And by the way, since Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, you know what their record is, regular season and playoffs combined? It's 16 and 16. They are back to being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before Tom Brady ever got there. They were 17 and or sorry, they were 16 and 16 in the two seasons prior to Tom Brady arriving. They're 16 and 16 in Brady's last year and with Baker Mayfield. And it's not that Brady was the reason it happened, it was that they got a really strong offensive and defensive line, drafted well in the linebackers and cornerbacks. Got some strategically great signings like Anton Winfield and Jordan Whitehair, uh, the guy who's now on Tampa Bay, whose name I'm forgetting right, or the guy who's now on Tennessee, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Like, yeah, they got a whole, oh, Sean Murphy Bunting, that's what I was thinking of. They got a bunch of good corners, a bunch of good offensive linemen, and then got Tom Brady in there to be a predictable offense that wasn't as chaotic and fun as the old Jameis Winston roulette. But now they're back to being the unpredictable, rowdy offense that we know and love. Because I was going through the Buccaneers' record this season, which, by the way, includes being 4-4 four and four on the road, 3-3 three and three at home, 7-7 seven and seven overall. They have won games this year by scoring 26, 27, 20, 29, and 34. They have lost games this year in which their offense scored 11, 6, 13, 14, and 6. Multiple games of scoring 6, 
multiple games of scoring 13 or 14 in their losses. And in their wins, they have scored 27. They have scored 26. They scored 29. They scored 34. A game they lost against the Texans, they scored 37. Should have won that game that they scored 37. But instead, their defense fell apart and they lost that game against the Texans. By the way, one of the most fun games of the entire NFL season was that stupid Texans-Bucks game that was 39-37. But in the games they win, they're scoring in the high 20s and low 30s, which obviously accounting for all NFL offenses being down, high 30s doesn't really... High 20s feels like what mid-30s used to be because all NFL offenses are down by a touchdown. But they're scoring high 20s and low 30s. And in their losses, they're scoring between 6 and 14. The Buccaneers are back to being the Buccaneers we know and love. They're going to win about half of their games. They're going to lose about half their games. But in the games they win... They're going to win by scoring a shit ton of points and being super fun on offense. And in the games they lose, they're going to score like six points. And the Bucks are back to being exactly that. And they just might win the NFC South doing it for the second year in a row. Because now the Falcons are no longer good. Now the Panthers are a dumpster fire. And the New Orleans Saints don't have Drew Brees and Sean Payton anymore to mask that the New- that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been this team for goddamn near 15 years. At least my entire football watching life, apart from the two years that they got a good offensive line, a good defensive line, and replaced Jameis Winston with Tom Brady. Apart from those two years, they've basically been this team for the past 15 years. And they just might make the playoffs once again by being this team. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want 
to play the Chiefs. And to beat Andy Reid and his schemes avenging your past mistakes. And take the Bills to the big game. Just when I thought Dak Prescott had the MVP locked up, even if they lost to the Buffalo Bills, he would have been protected, even if they had lost relatively badly to the Buffalo Bills, still would have been okay for the MVP. And today was the day, today was the day that Dak Prescott decided he was going to throw away the MVP. Because Brock Purdy torched the Arizona Cardinals defense. And you could point to that and say whatever. You know, Brock Purdy putting up 130 passer rating against the Cardinals defense is whatever, whatever. That's the sign that people have kind of been a little bit numb to some of the crazy stat lines that Brock Purdy had put up this year. And then Dak Prescott put up a stinker. I was looking at the the game in the third quarter, and Dak was like 7 for 15 for 50-some-odd yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. He had like a 40-some-odd passer rating in that game. Oh, boy, it was bad. Also, not helping the case for him, today was the day after five years that the Buffalo Bills finally, finally decided that they were going to develop a run game. After years of thinking Devin Singletary would break out behind that offensive line, after years of thinking that that offense would have a huge uh, performance by Zach Moss, or thinking that uh, James Cook as a rookie would finally transform that offense a year ago, after years and years of holding out hope for the Buffalo Bills rushing attack, Today was the day that they decided to just explode 255 yards, three touchdowns from Bills running backs alone. Just the running backs, not even including Josh Allen, who had a rushing touchdown. The Buffalo Bills kicked some ass, kicked ass against the Cowboys. And I'm super happy that the Buffalo Bills kicked ass because now they're going to get to 10 wins. It sucks that Kansas City had to lose with Kadarius Toney lining up offside and everything that that you probably heard on every sports talk radio station or sports show all last week about Kadarius Toney and the offsides and the pitch and all that stuff. Sucks that it had to come at Kansas City's expense because Kansas City could have had the number one seed if you just flipped that one singular result. Or if Kadarius Tony just isn't on the team, Kansas City has the number one seed. But at Kansas City's expense, Buffalo is going to make the playoffs. And honestly, I'll take that trade off. As long as Buffalo gets into the playoffs, I'm going to be good with it because Buffalo is now eight and six. They play the Chargers and they play the Patriots over the next two weeks. Buffalo's going to get in. We can exhale. The Broncos aren't going to get in over Buffalo, which was the result I was really nervous about, is what would happen in a world where Buffalo didn't make the playoffs, but Denver did. That would have been wild. But Buffalo beat Dallas, took away Dak Prescott's MVP, and gave it right to Brock Purdy. Because Brock Purdy, I said last week, Dak Prescott's the MVP of the league. Brock Purdy took it right from him. Took it right from him. And now... The Dallas Cowboys are going to probably end up in the five seed. And Dak Prescott played his second to worst game of the season. The only worst game came against the 49ers. But man, he just had to play not awful. And he would have won the MVP. And now 
He has lost his frontrunner status for the MVP because all they could have, like I said, they could have lost and he would have been fine. They could have lost the game and he still would have walked away with a good shot at winning the MVP. And Dak Prescott just played a crappy ass game and the Cowboys could have still kept it close if not for Buffalo finally having a breakout rushing attack for the first time in four seasons. After I'd been waiting four seasons for something to finally happen, it was New York Jets rejects and the and the, the brother of Dalvin Cook was what it took for Buffalo to break out against a Cowboys defense that had been pretty good against the rushing defense this year. It's just a catastrophic result for the Cowboys decreases their chances significantly of winning the NFC East although at the same time the Eagles aren't very good so there's a good chance that they'll lose a game the rest of the way but the Cowboys still got to play the Dolphins it's gonna be a tough ride for Dallas and Dak Prescott might have just coughed up the MVP and Dallas might be headed towards a third consecutive 12 and 5 season and it's so frustrating for people who are invested in the Cowboys or even just me saying last week that the Cowboys were this incredible team that smacked the Eagles around and was the second best team in the NFC. They're still the second best team in the NFC without question. It just means that they're now a clear number two, both in standing and in MVP because Brock Purdy is going to steal that award away from Dak Prescott. And it's going to be one of the most confusing things for all of us, for all of us, of how we got to that point with Brock Purdy. After all of this started with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance and all of the bullshit that we made a parody song about. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback.
All right. It's that time of the week where we bestow upon the good people of this podcast our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, an award handed out weekly to the quarterback and team who find themselves down by a touchdown, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to travel the length of the field in order to try and escape from Kirk Cousins Purgatory and pull out an incredible victory. And while both the Nick Mullins-led Vikings and Jake Browning-led Bengals qualify for this Leroy Jenkins-ass award, because both of them had some stupid drives that ended in Nick Mullins firing a stupid touchdown to Jordan Addison and Jake Browning doing an F it, Jamar Chase got to be down there somewhere, except Jamar Chase wasn't down there. It was T. Higgins, but oh shit, who cares? T. Higgins ends up scoring a touchdown with 39 seconds to play, and now we're going to overtime. Just some Leroy Jenkins-ass Kirk Cousins purgatory performances by Nick Mullins and Jake Browning. And even though I would love to give both of them the award, the award that we bestowed upon the Vikings Raiders 3-0 game last week, an entire game that was played in Kirk Cousins Purgatory. There is one distinctive winner this week for the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, and that belongs to the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears, who had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter, looked like their defense had exposed Joe Flacco for the same backup quarterback syndrome that we had Tommy DeVito pinned down for, or Jake Browning, or Nick Mullins, or any of these backup quarterbacks that sometimes can go 10 for 11 for 120 yards and two touchdowns, but can also look like Tommy DeVito did today, putting up six points against the Saints, a defense that is not really that good this year. And yet, the Chicago Bears, with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, blew the lead against the Browns, gave up a touchdown, a field goal, and a, tu- and a field goal in three consecutive drives after only allowing seven points the entire game and intercepting Joe Flacco three times. They left 37 seconds, no timeouts, for Justin Fields to go 75 yards and try and win the game, and it ended with a Hail Mary that was caught by Darnell Mooney, kicked out of his hands and into the waiting arms of a Cleveland defender. Just absolutely piss-poor, terrible way to end, but also the way that you get enshrined into this wonderful, wacky Kirk Cousins purgatory family. So congratulations to you, Justin Fields, your first Kirk Cousins purgatory award in your illustrious three-year NFL career. kind of interesting that he had never won the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award after all the one loss the one score games that the Bears have had over the years and all the accusations of tanking and Justin Fields having these incredible performances that still end in Bears heartache and defeat you know after all of that I would have thought Justin Fields would have had at least one Kirk Cousins Purgatory performance but no I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here three years as the starter for the Bears, and yet Justin Fields never had a Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. But I guess this is the the one to do it for, so congratulations to you, Justin Fields. Unfortunately for you, though, and unfortunately it means Cleveland is probably going to get into the playoffs with Joe Flacco, but unfortunately for you, the Bears still suck. The Bears still suck.
still suck. The bears still suck. The bears still suck. The bears still suck. The bears still suck. They really, 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 really suck. Yes, the bears still suck. All the ladies now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.